Welcome, everyone, to episode 35 of From the Stands, the Cool Pick Show. On today's episode, we have Canada Olympic women's soccer player Diana Matheson joining us to talk about her experiences, her career through the Olympics, what it was like to be a trailblazer in the Olympics and with women's soccer so far, and so much more. Before we get Diana on the show, though, we will, of course, like to recognize and thank our sponsors of the show with Mad Creative and Matthew DeCastro, who do our uh, pictures and our logos for the show, Jay Solti Photography for the production, and of course, want to give a shout out to Hush Blankets and the Great North Apparel for their codes, uh, where you can get some discount on some great gear um, for you and your family. Uh, so make sure to hit up my link in my Instagram and Twitter bios for those codes, and let's get Diana on the show and start talking about some soccer and her career. All right, Diana, how are you? I am doing well. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. How are things in your life going right now? Oh, I think, you know, <laughs> same as you, going day by day. A lot of the days look the same. Um, today, at least, it's quite sunny out, um, so it was nice to get out for a bit of a workout today. Um, so, yeah, enjoying the sunny days and good weather while it lasts before it gets too cold around here. Yeah, exactly. I played golf myself, I think, more this year than I have in the past five years. Um, so now that winter is around the corner and it's, yeah, it's definitely starting to get colder that I have to find a new indoor activity to start doing. Yeah, I think we should all get like dartboards or something. Yo, I'd be down for that virtual dartboard competition. Yeah. Oh, that would be so good, actually, if it was virtual. That's even better than I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it works, it works, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll plan something, we'll get it rolling, so. Okay, uh, not, not for money or anything, though, because darts is actually one of the things I am worst at in all the world, so. <laughs> no, it's just simply for bragging rights, that's it. Okay, perfect. So, um, yeah, let's dive into about you and your career. Um, so the first thing I wanted to ask you is, how did you know that soccer was such a passion for you and something that you wanted to do, uh, or what, like, knew that it was a sport you wanted to play growing up? I think, um, well, I, I grew up in a family that was quite athletic. I had an uh, older brother, a younger sister, and our parents just put us in a bunch of sports growing up. Uh, soccer was one of the earliest, and I think it was just always my favorite. Um, I started playing soccer when I was five, hockey when I was in grade three, because my big brother played and I wanted to be like him. Uh, then when I got a bit, bit older, kind of 13, 14, 15 years old, kind of the age where you have to start to prioritize a bit soccer for me was just always the priority I just loved it that bit more uh, it probably helped that I was a bit better at soccer than hockey too not gonna lie um, and then yeah I just love doing it I don't think I knew at that age certainly it could be a career there wasn't a ton of you know publicity about the national team they weren't really on TV certainly there weren't any women's professional leagues that I knew of the soccer wasn't even in the Olympics yet for women so it was just something I loved to do. I thought I'd go to university, play soccer there, and then, you know, grow up and and wear a pantsuit and work in a bank or something. That's 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 usually what I say. I I thought really my life was going to be, uh, but then soccer just kept opening doors and opportunities for me. And as soon as I knew opportunities like playing for Canada, being in the Olympics, playing professionally were available to me, I just I I went towards them. I just knew I wanted to do that and. Yeah, just been playing soccer ever since, really. 
That's incredible. And yeah, we're definitely going to dive into uh, your Olympic experiences because I want to chat about that. And uh, and I have some funky questions to ask you around the Olympics. Um, but if it, and it also too, if it makes you feel any better, I am horrible with ice hockey. I would be like Bambi on skates because I can do a lap around the ice, but it takes me about five minutes just to do one lap because I am just like slow moving. It's, it's brutal. So yeah. Um, Talking about your university career, uh, so you talked, you attended Princeton University where you played for them uh, for a number of years. In your first year, you ended up winning Rookie of the Year, uh, and then in your last year, you got Women's Athlete of the Year in 2008. What was it like for you to not only attend Princeton, um, but how much work and dedication kind of went into your time there um, to further make a name for yourself uh, to start off? Yeah, it was, um, I knew I wanted to go down to the U.S., um, to play in the NCAA because I wanted to, you know, progress my soccer career and competitively it was a bit stronger down there. Uh, and I knew a couple of Canadians uh, on the older provincial team who had gone down to Princeton. Um, and I knew it was a good academic school. My parents weren't going to let me go down to the U.S. unless it was a good academic school. Um, so Princeton was a good fit for me, for sure. Um, we, we lucked out. Uh, my Freshman year, my first year, we had a really strong team. We actually ended up making the final four in the NCAA, which was the first time an Ivy League team had made the final four in a 64-team tournament uh, in any sport. So that was pretty cool to be a part of. Um, yeah, uh, to your point, it was, I mean, it was a lot of work as well. Obviously, it's a tough academic school, so it took, you know, a lot of organization um, and being proactive. If I knew I was going to be away from school for soccer, I just had to be you know, organize and, and communicate with profs and make sure I knew what I had to get done and get it done on time. Uh, and then senior year, you have to do a, you have to do a thesis, a senior thesis, um, in my major, at least economics, but that actually meant there was a lot of independent work. It, it counted for a couple credits. So I could actually do that wherever. So it, it was actually in my favor that senior year, I could pretty much, you know, do a lot of my school from anywhere, which obviously helped being away a lot with the national team. Yeah, definitely. Did that answer your question? I'm not sure that answered your question. That did. That did. Okay. Uh, it's also too like really interesting when whenever school and sports kind of getting the mix because you also you mm -hmm. always have to have that maintenance of a certain like GPA in order to play sports in school. So it's always making sure that you have that right balance. But uh, yeah, no, you answered you answered the question. No. <laughs> um, now in 2010, you got to compete in your first World Cup, followed up again in 2011. How was it for you to uh, represent Canada at back-to-back -back World Cups? Yeah, uh, my first World Cup actually was in 03, way, way back in the day. Yeah, I, um, I first made the national team right before I turned um, 19. Uh, I hadn't made any of the youth national teams, um, but the national team coach came out to one of the training centers in Ontario, and I got invited to a camp uh, just before I turned 19. Uh, and fortunately for me, that was the year of a World Cup. I kind of got ready to my first camp in March. There was a World Cup in September in the US. Um, and I mean, that was, I was just a kid. Like it, it happened so quickly. I don't even think I knew what was going on. Like it was a bit of a blur. We actually came fourth in 2003, uh, which is still unfortunately the best we've done in a World Cup. Um, so it was an incredible ride. And I just got exposed really quickly to some of the incredible women who have played for. Canada over the years, like legends, like the Charmaine Hoopers, Andrea Neal, Savannah Bertini's. I mean, these were 
tough women who like pioneered, you know, before anyone was getting paid, they set the tone for us to get paid at all in tournaments. Like they were never on TV, but these, these were incredible women and they kind of set the tone for my generation coming up next. That's yeah, and then it's, it's been fortunate to be in a few world cups since then as well. Nice. And yeah, it's definitely women's sports is just developing each and every day as we move forward, which is fantastic because the need to, definitely needs to be more of it. Um, so it's, it's great that you were able to now set the kind of tone for the next generation of athletes now as well. Um, and you did so mm-hmm. more um, by kind of furthering your name a little bit more in 2011 when you got to compete at the Pan American Games, where you then helped Canada win gold against the defending champs Brazil. Um, but then on top of that, I just want, this is just so impressive to me, so I want to add to this. So in the following year, you also were named to Canada's Olympic squad again, where you found yourselves playing against France for the bronze medal. And in that game, you ended up being the one to uh, score the winning goal to secure the victory. What was it like for you during those two matches, again, making a difference in women's sport, but also knowing that you were the difference maker in those two matches? Oh, I mean, the, um, that was a roller coaster of a year for sure. Like John Herdman had come in as our new coach right before those Pan Am games. That was our first big tournament with him. Uh, and it really gave us a lot of confidence to win that gold medal. Um, went to PKs, I believe that was a dramatic one. I think Karina Levant came up with a big save at the end. Uh, and then, yeah, London 2012 was just like, that was a watershed moment for Canadian soccer. Like going back to uh, what we were saying, like my generation of player kind of struggled for 10, 12, 15 years without getting to that point where we won something, where we kind of showed Canada the potential we thought we had. And that was that was the tournament where people started watching and people started caring a lot more about women's soccer, I think, aside from the diehard fans that have always been there because of how dramatic the U.S. semifinal was uh, and then how dramatic that bronze medal game was. That was, I mean, that was just surreal for all of us because it was such a journey for 10 years, you know, from the year before in the tournament, like there were so many ups and downs for that group of players who was like family. It was just so special and joyous and surreal that we ended up on the podium together. And also too, it's, it's insane whenever in sports it goes to an overtime uh, or like for soccer penalty kicks as it is in, in regulation or anything like that. It's really exciting. But then to, to have that come down to if you walk home with a bronze or not or a gold or silver or not, that uh, it really is a defining moment. And like that's the, the amount of, I guess, I want to say pressure mindset that goes into something like that is insane. Um, and out of the, you can pick those two matches if you want, or another match, but what have, what has been one of your favorite things about those teams and being on them? Being on the Canadian team? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, certainly that London match or a few matches in London are kind of stand out as incredible moments being part of that team. But probably the best thing is like, we've literally grown up together a lot of, again, that generation of player, the national team was kind of our number one focus. We also played professionally, but national team was it. It's kind of shifting now where professional teams are becoming more of the focus. They're paying a lot more money. You know, they're getting more of your time. But for me, I grew up with like 15 players on that national team. And so I have, you know, a lifelong 
network of friends and family from that team that are, you know, have been a huge impact on my life and, and will continue to do so for sure. So that's, that's been the luckiest thing for me. I mean, and the, the honor of putting on the Canada Jersey is something that never gets old. And I guess, you know, the opportunity to, to travel has also been right up there. Cause obviously we go wherever the games are. Uh, I played professionally overseas in Norway. So you get to see the world while playing soccer, which is a pretty great perk as well. And that that's probably one of the highlights. I know for me, uh, like, as you know, I play baseball and basketball with Special Olympics. So the highest level we've kind of gotten to go to is the national level um, where we've been to like Vancouver, Nova Scotia. And before these two tournaments, like I've been to Nova Scotia once, but just to kind of see an aunt and uncle. So we didn't really get to tour around. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's just really cool to have that impact and have that sense of pride when you're going to another province or another country that you've never been to and just know that you're there representing uh, your home country is, is anything it's priceless really it's, it's yeah absolutely sports is such a great way to you know travel and see the rest of Canada as well like I can remember when I played for a team in Oakville and we made um, the national championships like the club national championships we got to go to St. John's Newfoundland um, and that was the first time I had been to Newfoundland and that was like one of my favorite trips ever as a kid because I had never been out there and you get to go you get to go with your friends too right like it's nice to travel with family or whoever but when you get to go as a group of friends as a team it's it, it's always a bit more fun too yeah, the bonding. No offense to my family. <laughs> so, mom, dad, if you're watching, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, we had a fan question come in. Um, do you have a particular routine that you do before games to get yourself ready and kind of get yourself in the zone for your match? I don't really have any superstitions. Like, routine, certainly. Like, if we're with the national team, you'll – you'll kind of wake up you'll go have breakfast eating a lot of food is really important on game day like it's a 90 minute plus match and that requires a lot of energy so you're eating a lot um so breakfast um usually we'll have like a walk and stretch or do some mobility to get our bodies moving and then you probably relax and then there'll be lunch and then you'll probably relax uh there'll be a pre-game meeting depending what time the game is you might eat again and then you head off to the stadium and usually on the way to the stadium i'll have some music on and and then once you get to the stadium, you're just getting ready. You're getting your gear on. You're rolling out. You're getting your body ready. What's your uh, go-to uh, band or artist that you listen to to get you ready? It always changes, to be honest. I like something a bit more current. Like I've, if I've heard it too many times, I get a bit sick of it. So it's always a bit in rotation. Nice. Um, now let's chat about your club career. You started your club career in 2008 with Team Stroman. Uh, followed by the Washington Spirits, Seattle Reign, and currently the Utah Royals. What has it been like for you to play for four different clubs over seven years? It's been, it's been fantastic. Um, I played in Norway, as you said, uh, right out of university. Um, and that was such a great experience. That was my first exposure to, you know, professional sports, professional soccer. And in Norway, they, the team had such pride in their club and city like it very much was more of a homegrown club than maybe in, in North American sports so there was like a community pride there and the fans were diehard fans and like every game was do or die it was fantastic uh, and Norway's beautiful and I got to travel the country too which was a great perk uh, and then uh, yeah and then after 2012 um, 
Canadians became a part of the National Women's Soccer League. That's the league in the U.S. now. So I went to the Washington Spirit for the first year of that league. And then yeah, I was there for five years, I think, I guess. Um, Seattle, I didn't get to play for, actually. I, I, I was traded to Seattle. Uh, I wanted, I'd been in D.C. enough. Um, I wanted to play for the coach in Seattle. But I actually ended up tearing my ACL like three weeks after they traded for me. And so I, I spent the whole year rehabbing and I didn't get to play for them unfortunately. And then that coach ended up going to a new franchise, Utah Royals FC, and she traded for me to come to Utah. So never played a game for Seattle, but it was an amazing city to live in. I loved it. They're a great place to rehab for a year. Um, and then, yeah, been in Utah since, and the, the club has a, a fantastic uh, setup down there. So I've been enjoying my experience in Utah for sure. Again, going back to the travel, it's such just a great way to learn about different places and see different parts of the world. I love living in Norway. The West Coast is like a fairy tale, like the fjords and the ocean. It's gorgeous. Seattle is beautiful. Great coffee there. Utah is incredible. Like the state parks, the national parks are amazing. And, and I left out DC. We, we weren't quite in downtown D.C., so it was a bit different. Like, we lived in Maryland, but okay. D.C. is a great city, too. I wish I had lived more downtown, actually. And it's not too far off, and I'll tell you one thing. This year, I turned 30 in December, um, so just in a few weeks, and then I was supposed to um, go to Barcelona in Spain for, like, a solo trip just to – you got to celebrate your 30th, right? It's a milestone. Yeah. And COVID hit, so that got screwed, so now – um, I might change my plans and go to Norway based off your recommendations. And, uh, if I need a travel buddy, I'll let you know. And, uh, yeah. Oh, if you are going to Norway, let me know. I will give you a list of places to go for sure. I, it's, it's the only problem with Norway is it's very expensive. It's very expensive. Hey, you know what? It's anything that's expensive is worth doing at least once in your lifetime, right? <laughs> Perfect. Okay. I'll give you the list of where to go then. Great. Now we've touched on it a little bit with your Olympic career and uh, and being on Team Canada and representing there. But in 2016, you were named to your third Olympic team, um, where you and Team Canada won bronze for the second consecutive time. What was it feeling like? You've touched on being able, like what the feeling was like to be uh, on Team Canada and represent your country. But what was it like to win your second bronze medal at the Olympics? It was. I mean, it was also incredible. That was, uh, as I said, 2012 was a group that had been together 10 plus years. 2016 was a much different team. You kind of still had half the team that had been around in 2012 and half was brand new. You know, it was their first Olympics. Some of them had seen 2012, been inspired and they came in and the new generation just made us you know, better. They came in expecting to win things. You know, they'd seen us win a medal, even though it took us like 12 years to win a medal, they now expected to win medals every time. So they had like this confidence, almost naive confidence, but they brought some swag and, you know, ability and, and they pushed us to get better this young generation. And I think as a team, we grew over those four years between 2012 to 2016. And we were, and we were a much better team in 2016. Uh, 2012 we got a bit lucky like we needed every bounce of the ball in that France game to win the bronze medal and we got through with like grit and heart 2016 we we deserved at least a bronze like we beat Germany the second ranked team in the world first time we beat them we beat France we beat Australia with the red card 
uh, we just couldn't beat the Germans a second time, unfortunately. But um, and then we we deserve to beat Brazil in that bronze medal game instead of getting outshot as we were against France. So it was I mean it was a better team in 2016, and it was important to us to that 2012 wasn't just a one off. And you know people could say we were lucky. We wanted to be seen as a as a great team, and we knew we had to keep winning if that's how people were going to see us. Yeah, and you also wanted to just make that statement like, hey, we're here to compete, we're here to, we're the real deal, and mm-hmm. that's showed. Now, one question I want to ask you is, every Olympic athlete has a different place where they keep their medals. Mm-hmm. Some, some athletes have uh, kept them with their parents. Some athletes have told me that they keep them in a sock drawer hidden away. Uh, I even had one athlete tell me that it was in like their Lululemon bag next to their dog toys. <laughs> Uh, where do you keep your Olympic medals? Um, they're actually in this bookshelf right beside me. I know this is a podcast, so it won't be seen, but. No, we're on, we're on YouTube. So for the. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Hold on. I'm just going to take you there for one sec. They're in this, um, bookshelf here. And they each came, we didn't get cases for them off the bat. So like you get the medal and then like two, three days later, they give you a case for it. So they both live in their own cases. This is. London case nice like leather situation and then Rio lives in this nice wooden box I'm sure it was all sustainably forested so they just live in this uh, bookshelf that's really cool yeah and then um, yeah so we got Rio in there nice and London in here London's looking a bit worse for where the case was getting beat up so I like I stopped bringing it anywhere so when I do to your point, when I bring them anywhere or when we used to pre-COVID, I would usually bring them in like a sock or something as well. Yeah. Keep them safe. Yeah. Nice. That's so on the bookshelf uh, is the answer to your question. You know what? I have to say it's it's really cool to see when the Olympic committees go and make the cases for them. Like so uh, to, for the London one, how it's just in that black case that opens up this way, but Rio's it like slides and it's really. Yeah. Unique. Rio's is funky. I like it. Yeah, it's, I always like, I have a kind of favorite for those funkier cases versus just like the basic ones. Yeah. Do you know what though? There's, um, there was a problem with the bronze medals from Rio. Okay. Something to do, I don't know, it's like recycled metals and the metals are actually tarnishing. So oh. my, my bronze metal is actually getting worse and worse, unfortunately. Fun oh. fact. <laughs> I would be emailing someone be like, hey, so do you have any... Oh, they did. There was like complaints after the games. They replaced a bunch of them. So this one was actually replaced, but it's tarnishing too. So they didn't actually fix the problem with whatever the, you know, the problem is causing it. That's, that sucks. I know for me, my medals are just hanging down in like my living room, like on a, like a wall shelf kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I I don't have anything special for mine, so... Yeah, they're all special. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the biggest thing is when we go back to running or being able to attend events, it's always just being able to wear it out and, and showcase it is always the biggest thing as well. Yeah, it is. It's always been very fun to be able to share them with people, kids, adults, everyone. I think, you know, it's people don't get an opportunity to touch an Olympic medal too often. So, yeah, I always did try and bring them whenever I had an appearance or a speech or anything. And hopefully, you know, when all this pandemic passes, we can start doing that again. Exactly. 
Um, now we had another fan question come in and asking, what is the one thing that you learned from your experience of playing at the Olympic level? Ooh, the, at the Olympic level, I mean, the Olympics is very different from any other competition. Like usually, you know, we'll go play games. We'll play world cup is obviously our other big tournament. Um, but that's soccer specific. You know, you're always in a hotel. The, there's four or five days between every game. It's all centered on soccer. The Olympic Games is a massive beast of an, of an event, right? Like how many sports? I don't even know. I should know that. 30-something sports? Sure, um, like 10, there's 10,000 athletes at an Olympic Games for some, uh, summer games. And so it's all like logistics. And there's always something like not running smoothly at an Olympics, like your bus will be two hours late or, you know, your hot water is not working at first, but the Canadian Olympic committee is usually pretty good at ironing out those details. Um, but it's different. You feel part of a bigger team much more than any other event. And I guess the thing we learned after our first Olympics in 2008 in Beijing was that you, you can't get distracted by the big event, the big show that's going on, or, you know, the fact that Kobe Bryant's there, Messi's there, Serena Williams is there, you know, you can't, that's great. It's a perk. You enjoy it for a few days, but then it's business and the athletes who are there to win medals get down to business pretty quickly. Definitely. And I don't even want to start talking about transportation issue at games is the, I'll, I'll share a quick story, but yeah. um, the, in 2018, when my team was going out to nationals, we had a 7 a.m. flight out of Pearson um, to go to Nova Scotia or to, to land into Halifax. And we had uh, got a bus organized. I don't know what bus company it was, but uh, we called and said, um, like, yeah, 4 p like 4 a.m. And, um, and then they had written down 4 p.m. on their stuff. But then the, the, the funniest part about it was like, they're like, oh, we run on military time. So we thought 4 p.m or like uh, four o'clock was 4 p.m. And we're like, but military time would be like 4 a.m. still. So they yeah, like, like look at themselves. Yeah, so anyway, so, so we didn't have a bus to show up and we had 15 athletes to get to the Pearson and we're already running late because we waited like an hour for this bus thinking like, oh, it'll come, it'll come. And then we it didn't come. So we all had to hop into Ubers to go from mm -hmm. like Durham region all the way to Pearson, which is about a 45-minute drive. Um, and then we made our flight with like 20 minutes to spare. They were calling, like we could hear like our names being called. We're like, we're going, we're going. And it was insane. So, wow. That's impressive. You made it. That sounded a bit tight. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely tight. Um, but yeah, there's always issues at games. And yeah. There's, I'm, I'm sure every athlete who's gone to one of these, you know, multi-sport games, there's, there's issues. Cause there's just so, there's so many volunteers and moving pieces that like things get messed, especially in the early days where they're still ironing out all the problems. 100%. The, as long as you get there safely and you have a place to crash, you're good. Yeah. That's it. So um, I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, in October 2018, you earned your 200th cap for, the, for Canada, having started 181 times during that stretch. First off, congratulations, because that's a tremendous accomplishment to be able to play in 200 games and start 181 of them. Um, how much work and dedication went into you for that, to be able to make that many appearances um, and reach such a tremendous accomplishment? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just been really my, 
life since, you know, 2003 when I made the team. Obviously, there's been university during that time, professional career, but for me, the Canadian team's just been what's driven me through my whole career. And that was without question, always been my number one priority is playing for Canada. Uh, and yeah, the 200 meant a lot to me, especially the last, the last four or five years of my career have been, I've had injuries. So it, it took definitely a few years longer to get to that 200 mark. I think I was in the one eighties for like three, four years. Cause it just had some major injuries pop up. Um, so it meant a lot to finally check that box. I mean, it doesn't really mean too much at the end of the day, but it was nice to, to hit that number. And, um, I'm sure the 200 mark, I think there's only two of us right now, myself and Christine, but I think with the younger generation, you play more games. Now we have such a talented group that hopefully you're going to see more and more people hitting that mark in a few years. Yeah, for sure. But it's really cool when you are kind of one of the first ones to make that uh, treadstone for for the next generation. Um, and now talking about the next generation, I, I like to do a segment called Words of Wisdom or, or the Advice section. So um, what kind of words of wisdom or advice would you like to give to those future athletes that want to get into soccer, compete, and eventually get to the next level? uh yeah do do what you love so if you love soccer awesome if you love something else like darts perhaps you know do that uh and then just just practice your craft uh the people who make the national team are absolutely the ones who are willing to work hard at it and put in the extra time and not let someone telling them they're not good enough get in the way uh and then on top of that you know watch soccer pick Pick a player you want to be like, pick your hero, watch how they play, and then go out and practice that stuff. Go out and, you know, almost pretend you are that player and try and play with them. Because there's a cool thing about that where you actually start to act like your hero. You'll try things that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have, you know, different moves, different turns, shots, whatever it is. Uh, and it's a way of working on your game that way. So, you know, if you love it, watch it, study it work on it and and try and be the player you want to be and talking about that darts we'll definitely make sure to get that uh tournament going and uh get some yeah. break going yeah i should listen to my own advice i'll get some i'll have to start watching some english dart league or dart union or whatever it is i don't even know what it's called yeah it's pretty exciting the crowds are always so into it oh i know especially when i watched a couple matches just like flicking through tv and uh, I've always caught like the ending and whenever they like score the final point, yeah. it just erupts and I was like, oh my God, there's so many yeah. people in the darts. You know what? And if nothing else, it's really good math practice, I think, darts. Because you really have to do the instant math to, you know, subtract your score down to zero is my understanding of darts. I think yeah. that's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You start at like 501 and then you make your okay. way down. Yeah. yeah. So it's also good math practice. Exactly. Now, how are you in math in school though? That's the biggest question. Uh, I, I never liked writing. I was definitely more of a numbers person than, um, than a, a written person. So I, I majored in economics in, at Princeton because I didn't want to write papers as much, basically. That's fair. Yeah. Cool. Well, Diana, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show uh, and share your knowledge and your experience um, of your career. And we look forward to um, seeing more of, more of you on the field in the future once COVID stops. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Look forward to seeing you in person uh, in the near future, hopefully.
Yeah, hopefully we. I don't know when the next gal will be for Special Olympics, but uh, I know. I think they've just said it's going to be virtual this year. Obviously, it would need to be. So, but yeah, hopefully next year. Hopefully next fall. Fingers crossed. Yeah, well, my fingers crossed. All right, awesome. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Nice to see you. Bye. All right, everyone. That was Diana Matheson, two-time Olympic bronze medalist with Team Canada uh, Women's Soccer. Thank you to Diana for uh, being on the show today and to everyone for tuning in. And we look forward to having you tune in to the next episode. Until then, take care.